I encourage you guys to just get comfortable wherever you need to be to just get in that worshipful state. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God
God. 
cross just for us, God, to overcome our sin for us, and to comprehend that you did all that for us is just absolutely incredible, God. 
You are unfathomable sometimes. You are amazing. God, just prepare our hearts tonight to receive your word and just open up our minds and our hearts and just be with Pastor Tom as he preaches your word, God. Thank you for everything that you do in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always fun to see how God brings things together. All of those songs that we sang this evening uh, tie in some way to what we're looking at this evening. And so, you know, we serve an incredible God. And it's so easy to get caught up in the daily stuff of life, isn't it? And it's not that we intend to do it, but, you know, we wake up in the morning and the alarm clock goes off and then... You know, depending on what happens next, sometimes we may get up and we get ready and smooth morning and out the door we go to our jobs or to our appointments or whatever we're doing. And then sometimes you get up and things get in the way and, you know, there's no hot water or, you know, I don't know, something like that. The car won't turn over, whatever it is. And it doesn't even have to be that drastic, but it's just so easy quickly If nothing else, you wake up and then all of a sudden, oh gosh, you start going through your to-do list, right? Except for those of you that are retired, I understand you don't really have anything to do. So, I'm just teasing. (laughs) Got a wife and still have to-do lists. I'm just teasing with you. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. And so, um, to have God in our life, to remind ourselves that He has overcome and that he is part of our life. I, you know, it's just couldn't do it without him. And so he brings that joy and that hope to our life. And uh, tonight we continue our journey through the Bible in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 3. If you'd like to uh, encourage you to turn there, either in your paper Bible or on your tablet or on your phone, however you bought your Bible tonight. But uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And whatever the subject at hand... The Apostle Paul is ready to place Christ ahead of all. In Colossians 1, we see that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That's verse 16 in chapter 1, and we studied that a few weeks ago. That Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, we can't see Jesus. None of us have seen Jesus. Not that I'm aware of. If you have, I'm glad. But most of us haven't seen him with our physical eyes, and yet... Through God's word, Jesus is that visible representation of who God is. That's why he came. He came into time and space to to live this life and to show us who God is. And so he's the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus existed before anything was created. John chapter 1, the word was with God and the word was God even before anything was created. And so we know that Jesus has always existed through Jesus. God, the father created everything in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the head of the church. Everything begins with Jesus. Everything's ends with him. He reigns supreme over everything. And in Colossians one it says, and through him, 
And through Jesus, God the Father reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That was the point of Jesus' coming. is for the purpose so that Father God could reconcile everything to himself. What's that idea? That whole word of reconcile is just to obtain peace between two people. And so uh, God created Adam and Eve. They chose, willingly chose to, uh, to uh, commit high treason before God, to sin, which separated them from God. And from then on, mankind, God's creation, and God have been at hostility with each other because... Sin must be judged. Sin must be paid for. And so Jesus came so that that payment could be fulfilled. Thus, reconcile everything to him. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. So because Christ is ahead of all, Paul, for Paul to think of life is to think of Christ. In Philippians 1.21, Paul said this, For, for to me to live is Christ. Everything that Paul did was completely centered around Christ. Paul realized that his whole life radically changed when Jesus came into his life on the road to Damascus. And tonight I want to remind each of us that our lives radically changed when Jesus came into our lives on our Damascus road. Your Damascus road may not have included going to uh, put people in jail to see them killed. You may not have had a life full of addictions, but maybe you did. Maybe like, like me, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you don't feel like um, you were such this huge, big sinner when you met Jesus. But it doesn't matter about your past, regardless of that, each one of us. We're separated from God, regardless of our past. And so whether you had this big transformation when you accepted Jesus or not, or whether you didn't feel a thing, when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were radically changed. You were radically changed. Think about that for a minute. I like that word. It was radical it was extreme. It wasn't just small little feet that happened. Jesus gave his life for you and me. That's extreme. God gave his only son. That's extreme. And so tonight, as we journey through Colossians chapter 3, think about and keep in mind this whole radical change that God's done in your life. And it's worth putting a smile on your face. It's worth having hope in your life. It's worth that when disappointment or when problems do come, you can still smile. Not because it doesn't hurt. I didn't say it doesn't hurt. It can hurt. But you can still smile because you know that the God who created everything and created you is holding him in the palm of your hand. So if you haven't already, I invite you to turn to, with me to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue tonight. 
Colossians chapter 3 walks us through the radical changes that Jesus makes when he enters a person's life, making that person a new creation. Now, last week, um, Pastor Kerry took us through verse 4 of chapter 3, but just want to kind of remind you what we saw there. In verses 1 through 4, we saw that our personal hearts are radically affected. Our new life in Christ is a life that is resurrected. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Therefore, if or since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Our resurrection life in Jesus Christ pushes us to pursue only those things that are approved in heaven. That's the whole idea of keeping our minds on things that are above, that we want to be heavenly minded, that we want to be thinking about what God desires us to be and to seek him first and his way of doing things and his way of being. So that was in verse one. In verse three, um, it tells us our new life is protected. Verse three says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 1.13 tells us that when the Holy Spirit invades our life, our lives and radically changes our hearts, he seals us to the Father eternally. And so our lives are hidden with Christ, so we are protected. And verse 4 of Colossians 3 shows us that our new life with Christ is exalted. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also be, will be revealed with him in glory. So life in Christ is hidden right now, but it will not always be hidden because on that glorious day, which we anticipate, when Jesus returns, all is going to be revealed. And so when we, when we hear of somebody, when I see you and you tell me, yes, I've accepted Jesus as Lord, I can't see exactly what God is doing in your life. You can't see what God's doing in my life because it's an internal thing that God's doing. The only way we can see it is by how we act or what we say. But one day soon, that glorious day when Jesus returns, we're going to see him as he is and we're going to see our, ourselves as he has made us even now. So it's a radical thing. So tonight we uh, begin our study in verse 5 of Colossians 3 where we're going to see that our principal habits have been radically affected. So let's read uh, together Colossians 3, beginning with verse 5. We're going to uh, read 5 through 11. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So we see that God radically changed, changes our moral behavior. Look at verse 5 again. It says, 
to consider the members of our earthly body as dead. Now we can say it this way, uh, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's saying the same thing. Set it aside, put it to death. That's what we're talking about. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul expounds further by saying, You have laid aside the old self with its evil practice and have put on the new self who is being renewed. So what is Paul talking about here? When you and I accepted Jesus as our free gift of salvation, our human spirit was reborn and made new. Again, as a, as a human being on this planet, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And so it was our human spirits, spirits that when we said to Jesus, yes, we accept your free gift of God, that's what we know as being reborn the minute we said, said that. That is the miracle of salvation. And that's what's so radical. And that's what um, Satan couldn't even understand how God would ever, ever, ever be able to fix mankind's sin. And that was the mystery that the New Testament and Paul talks about a lot, is that rebirth of the human spirit, that mystery. And even still, we can read about it in God's word, but... When we try to think about it, how in the world did it happen? Our heads go tilt because that's God and that's who he is. And through his supernatural power, he rebirthed our uh, human spirit and he made it brand new. And so this is what we call and this is what Paul is saying here in this text. This is the new self that verse 10 is talking about. Now, however... When we became a Christian, we didn't leave this earth. We're still here on this earth. And our human spirits weren't separated from our body because you have to have a body to live here on this earth. And so we still live in this human body. And our human body or the flesh or the old self, as Paul's talking about, that didn't get reborn. And so because it didn't get reborn, it still has all of the desires that Paul mentions mentions in verses 5, 6, 7, and 9. And so also sin is still an issue for us because we still live on this globe called planet Earth where sin still abounds. Think with me for a minute. What's going to be the main difference when we finally do get to heaven? No sin. Think about Wrap your brain around that. No sin. Think about it. No more greed. No one's ever going to be greedy. Tilt. No one's going to be selfish. Tilt. No one's going to look for their... to be... worship themselves. No one's going to lie. No one's going to steal anything. And on and on and down the list we can go. We, that's what an amazing... That's radical, folks. That's where we're headed. That's worth taking everything that happens on this earth and what we're talking about here. That's worth taking everything about our old selfish nature... And just throwing it away. And putting on the new nature that we're going to be talking about 
more in a minute. So therefore, it is our responsibility. Oh, I skipped something. Let me go back. Um, Before we were saved, old habits bound us. But now that we are Christ followers, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death and have become slaves to righteousness. The book of Romans 6 and 7 and 8 talk about that, how we've been buried with Christ through his death and we've been resurrected through his newness of life and um, we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been freed from that and we can be slaves to righteousness. Therefore, it is our responsibility to take off or set aside all of our old habits and sins and pursue or put on our new self, new habits that Jesus has provided and given to us. It is called the great exchange. God took away our sin and he declared us not guilty of the debt of sin. In exchange, he has closed us in the, with the righteousness of Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Jesus enables us to lead holy lives, dedicated to the service of God and conform to his likeness. So, of course, the question is, how do we take off this old self and put on the new self? Well, first of all, I would encourage you, stop looking at yourself as a sinner. You're not a sinner anymore. Please listen carefully, because I don't want you to go out here and say, Tom never said that we'll sin again. That's not what I said. I said, you're not a sinner. Do you still sin? Do I still sin? Yes, will I tomorrow or the next day or whenever I have an opportunity? Very possibly so and probable. But that doesn't make me a sinner. Okay? You have been saved by grace through your faith in Jesus Christ. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's the God's free gift to you. And that's what you accepted. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And so stop thinking of yourself as a sinner because you're not a sinner. In fact, the book of 1 John tells us that those who truly know Jesus, they're not looking to sin. Is anyone in here looking to sin? Yeah, don't raise your hand. In fact, what? All of us are doing everything that we can to not sin. Why? Because your desires have been changed. You have a new self planted inside of you by Jesus. Again, as far as God is concerned, all of these, this old self, these old habits that we're going to look at a little closer in a moment, as far as God concerns, You've been freed from those, and they should never, ever control you again. And yet, again, he's given us all of these new habits and this new self, and he's given us desires to be able to fill them. And not only did he not just, not only did he give us the desires, but he gave us his Holy Spirit The actual spirit of almighty God lives inside of us so that we can be successful. And this is what the Old Testament saints were looking for. This is what they were looking for. They didn't have any help. Occasionally they did. All the patriarchs, all the stories that you see, God would help them. But God would have to do it from the outside. And then because of Jesus, 
Now we have that help from the inside, which allows us to be more successful. And no matter how long you've been a believer, if you've been a believer for 40 years, if you've been a believer for five years, or even less than that, each and every day, you should be looking and acting more and more like Jesus. And if you're not, then there is some problems and some issues. You need to be looking at this and get rid of that old self and not allow it to get involved. And so, this is what Jesus has done for us. You and I are now clothed with the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And righteousness has nothing to do with how you act. Righteousness simply means that you have been put in right standing with God. Again, going back to that God has declared you not guilty. And he says, now you have the permission to be in my presence, to be one of my children. And so it's not based upon how we act. Now it's better if we act properly. Because that's what he wants in our life. But some people go, oh, how can I be righteous when I blew it yesterday? Again, your righteousness and your position of righteousness in Jesus Christ and through God's eyes has nothing to do with how you act. It has everything to do with Jesus. Because guess what? It's not your righteousness anyway. It's his. That's what you've been clothed with. And that's who you are. So, Stop looking at yourself as a sinner and get rid of your sin consciousness. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Jesus has completely and wants to completely clear your conscience of feeling guilty, of that sin consciousness, of always looking at, oh, look at me, look at how bad I am. I'm no good, I'm no worthy. Well, in Jesus, because of what he's done, you are worthy. We may not always act like it, but we're still worthy in his sight because he's the one that declared us worthy. And so that's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And so we have to renew our mind to what God's word has to say about us. Whether we feel like it or not, whether it looks like it or not. And the goal, of course, is to continue to pursue God so that then what we say and how we act lines up with what God has done in our lives. Remember, you can't do this without Jesus' help. Let Christ live through you. Galatians 2.30 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul knew 
that everything he did was because of Christ. And again, it goes back to that whole process and that we have died. That's where the whole book of uh, the chapter of Colossians 3 starts, that we have died with Christ. Therefore, we've been raised to newness of life. And so it's not us that is living, but it's Christ living in us. And so we want to remind ourselves of what God says about us, that we are the righteousness of God instead of sinners. We need to get rid of that sin consciousness and not focus on that anymore, but focus on who God has made us. And we need to realize that without Jesus' help, and without the Holy Spirit in us, we can't even do it anyway. So there would be no point in even beginning but be, of trying, but because Jesus lives inside of us, we can now live by faith in this life, knowing that God loved us and He gave us self up for us and He's helping us walk each and every step of the way. So, how do we start this whole thing? So we start by setting aside our old self. And um, we looked at this a couple months ago, but um, Paul lists in verses 2 and 3 a number of uh, different uh, habits um, that, are, that are in two different categories. So we have actions, sinful actions. We have sinful attitudes. Let's look at those um, quickly here. So immorality is a, is a generic term for sexual sin of any kind. Then Paul talks about impurity, which refers to uncleanness of thought, word, or action. Passion denotes strong and unbridled lust. Evil desires speaks of intense and often violent craving. Greed is the desire for more and more, particularly if it doesn't belong to us. And idolatry is anything we desire more than God and um, the verse says is that greed is what can lead to idolatry. And so that idea of that we begin worshiping the things that we long for instead of wor worshiping our God. And the sinful attitudes are anger, smolder, smoldering, ill will toward others. Wrath would be the next level of anger. It would be anger that is raging out of control. Malice is basic mean-spiritedness. Slander, also known as blasphemy, means reviling. Strong, uh, intemperate language used against another person. So we're talking bad about them. Abusive speech or filthy language is shameful speaking. Describing that which is lewd, indecent, or corrupt. It's disgraceful in its impure language. And lying is not telling the truth, but also lying can be not living the truth. And so there's lying as far as that we don't tell the truth, but then there's lying that we're living one way, or we say we live, we're living one way, but we're, acting, we're actually acting a different way. And so that would be especially in the case of if we haven't set aside this this old self, and we're still letting it control our lives and whatnot, then we're lying to each other um, in, in that we're not living out what uh, God has said to be and to do. 
So remember that that is our old self. And God, again, He always, He doesn't just leave us void. He didn't just take away our sins and then leave us void. But He, that great exchange is that He gave us a new self. And we see that in verses 12 to 14 in our text of Colossians 3. So if you look at, look at that with me, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. And so as we look at these, again, Paul divided these into two categories. We have Christ-like actions, and then we have Christ-like responses. The actions are a heart of compassion, mercy ruling the life of the believer. And so instead of getting angry about things, or instead of being upset about circumstances, we have a heart of compassion and we, we show mercy and that it is ruling in our life and we don't get upset at people and we don't get upset at circumstances in life, but we stay calm and we have that heart of compassion. We're kind, so kindness is the goodness of the heart, a sweet disposition. Seeing our neighbor's welfare is as important as our own. And so that idea of being kind, again, not being angry, not being upset, or some of these other things. We don't have wrath. We don't have malice. We're not, we're not being mean-spirited, but we're being kind. And um, we're always thinking of the other person's welfare more important than our own. And then we have Christ-like responses. Humility which is modest appraisal of self. The focus is on giving up our rights for the sake of others. Now, this isn't a false humility. Sometimes, again, people, when, when we're beating ourselves up, sometimes people think, oh, I'm being humble. I'm being humble because I'm saying, oh, look at me. I'm not that good. Uh, you know, low is me. That's not the idea at all. It's not putting ourselves down. It's a complete... Um, uh, attitude of the heart and we realize we're not bigger than we are. We don't think of ourselves more than we should, but we're always um, wanting to think of the rights and think of people um, for the sake of others and giving them first place and putting them first place instead of ourselves. Gentleness. This idea of gentleness, sometimes people think of it as, oh, well, it's just somebody who's kind of wimpy and doesn't have a backbone. But that's not what it means at all. It, gentleness does not speak of weakness. Gentleness is great strength that is under control. And we really see that. The best uh, example is that is within a horse, a wild horse. When they're wild, they're just all over the place. And there's absolutely no control. And they don't have the ability to control themselves or to stand still, they're just going to do whatever they want to do. But after they go through what's called being broken, the purpose of breaking them is not to break their spirit. 
And I think that's the key to remember. God's not asking you to have a broken spirit when you're gentle, but um, that horse still is very strong and still very mighty, but now he knows how to control that strength so that it's used um, for good and for positive purposes rather than to harm somebody or be destructive. And so that gentleness is great strength that is under control. And then patience is the ability to put up with difficult people, which there's no difficult people in this room. I know that. I know each one of you. You all are great. Um, but the idea isn't just, isn't just, you're not just waiting. Patience is, is that, and it, it's, it's not just about the ability to just put up with somebody. But the idea is that you, again, are using all of these other characteristics to think of that person first. Is to be thinking of, well, what maybe are they thinking about? Why, what's causing maybe them to act that way or to say something or to sound rude or whatever? And instead of getting angry in return, you're patient and you deal with it and you try to be part of the solution and definitely stay away from the problem. <clears throat> that goes into the next one. Bear with one another. This describes the patience we should have with the failings and odd ways of our brothers and sisters. And of course, in living with others, it is inevitable that we will find out each other's failures. It often takes the grace of God for us to put up with the idiosyncrasies of others as it must for them to put up with ours, but we must bear with one another. We all have met that person that just kind of rubs us the wrong way. Or, right? No. But we all do. We have found that person that just rubs us the wrong way. Or there's a personality conflict. Or um, maybe they see something through a different lens than you do. Um, and so all of these things can, per, can get us into life where our wires can get crossed or put us on edge with other people. And so um, we need to remember that we're all uniquely created by God and uh, we're peculiar people, which means, yeah, you're weird. Um, but it also means that word doesn't mean that's peculiar in First Peter. It actually means that you're special. And that each one of us are special to God. We are God's special kid, each one of us. And so we need to bear with one another because there will be times when it's like, hmm, I wonder, did they really mean to say that? Or, hmm, um, they didn't seem to laugh at my joke. Or, hmm, whatever it may be. Um, we need to bear up and be patient with one another. And then that, of course, leads right into the next one, which is forgiveness. Offering to others what our Lord freely and graciously offers to us. That's not always easy. But God tells us to forgive one another. And to realize that yes, we may offend somebody. We may hurt somebody by the way we act or the things we say. Or maybe by the things we didn't do. Unintentionally, not even knowing that we that we hurt that person because maybe expectations weren't met. Whatever the case may be, God is very 
talks a lot about forgiveness in his word. And in fact, Jesus in the gospel tells us that if we don't forgive one another, then God won't forgive us. And so we need to be people that are quick to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean that the pain will go away. That doesn't mean that that person is going to become your best friend. They may, they may not. But that's not the issue. The issue is forgiving just as we've been forgiven, offering that freely, and then asking God from then on to help the feelings to change. Also, forgiveness doesn't mean that that person shouldn't be held responsible for what they did. That's not what we're talking about, and that's not what God's talking about. There may still be some responsibility that needs to be owned or things need to change or whatever the case may be. But regardless of whether any of that happens, God is asking us to forgive and stay in that area of forgiveness and loving others and then going to Him and asking Him to change your feelings and and if that is what needs to happen, but continually forgive and continually extend grace. And then Paul says that the final piece of clothing is love. And so we see that in verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is considered the outer garment or the belt because love holds all the other pieces together in perfect harmony. You can have all of these other characteristics. You can have a heart of compassion. You can be kind. You can be humble. You can be gentle. You can be patient. You can bear with one another. You can extend forgiveness. But if you don't have love, then everything's just going to fall apart. And so love is that ultimate um, idea of extending everything and loving um, because love holds all these together. Paul is emphasizing that what we do must be done in a genuine spirit of love for others. Our actions should not be grudging, but should be born out of wholehearted affection. And sometimes that's not always easy to do. But when we pray and say, God, change my attitude. Help me love the way that you love. And in fact, in First Peter, the, Peter tells us at the end of chapter 2, I think it's the end of chapter 2, where he says that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. And it says that Jesus never ever uh, tried to repay people for what they did to him. And so he went through, even in his ministry, and when people were mean and people, you know, we know that the, the Pharisees and all these other religious leaders and all these people would come and they would fight with him and they would argue with him. And yet he never did anything in return to what they were doing except to love them and to care for them and to be concerned with them. And so the same thing, of course, when he went through the horribleness of the crucifixion and all of that that went before He never retaliated. He never tried to get anybody back. He did that for us. And then, of course, the next verse says why he did it. He did it 
so that we could be forgiven of our sins, that our sins could be nailed to the cross, and so that we could live a life of righteousness. And so that's why Jesus did that. And Jesus um, wants us to be the same way. Now, this, now, at the same token, Jesus didn't just let himself be a doormat either. There were plenty of times in the Gospels where he just left the situation. He didn't retaliate, but he also didn't necessarily sit there and just say, yeah, you can keep treating me this way. He would leave and move on and go and minister to the people that were willing to hear what he had to say and accept what he had to do. So our actions should not be grudging, but should be born out of wholehearted affection. God desires for us to radically live lives that display His holiness and character. That's all that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So again, the same idea, cleansing ourselves, getting rid of that old self, putting on the new self, and then perfecting that holiness in our life, walking the way that God has asked us to walk and be holy as He is holy, as we're told, in the fear of God, with the help of God. And when Jesus enters our lives, all things become new. Second Corinthians 5.17, very familiar scripture to most of us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new create, creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Again, the old self and the new self and who we are today in Jesus is that we are the new self. So we see that God has radically, because of our new life in Christ, God has radically changed our habits and our desires, giving us the new man so that we can live like him. As we continue in uh, verse 15, we see that our particular values are radically affected by our new life in Christ. Look at, at me, verse 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so we see here, going back to verse 15, our new lives in Christ value God's peace and his word. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That verse has been uh, on my mind a lot over the last number of months, probably about two or three months. God brought that to my mind, and I realized just that idea that the peace of God rule in my heart, that it takes control of my heart, because life can cause us to be unpeaceful or to not experience peace. And God desires us to be filled with peace and to have everything 
whole and in order the way that he created it. And in fact, in John 14, 27, Jesus told his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Our hearts can get unsettled. It's very easy for our hearts to get unsettled. And before we know it, we're worrying about things. And that worry, that fear may start in our mind. But if we're not careful, it can get down into our heart. Get down into our spiritual heart. And God calls us and wants us to be in peace and to experience peace. And in fact, um, God keeps us in perfect peace as we trust Him and keep our thoughts fixed on Him. You can find that in Isaiah 26, verse 3. So as we keep our minds on Him, as we trust Him, as we keep our minds and thoughts fixed on Him, God gives us perfect peace. And have you ever been uh, uh, rattled or unsettled about something? And then when you start to pray or you start to worship God or you start to uh, consider God and His ways, how that peace can just come over you supernaturally. And one minute, maybe you're even so afraid that you're actually physically shaking. I've had this happen to me before where I've been physically shaking and it just snuck up on me. And then once I realized what it was and just started praying and started asking God to take that peace away, how everything just calmed down almost immediately. And so through prayer in Philippians chapter uh, 4, Paul tells us that as we bring our requests before God with thanksgiving and as we lay that at his feet and, and give him our requests and our petitions to him, it says, and the peace of God will encompass our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. And so there we see that the peace of God, God's peace protects our hearts and protects our minds Because He doesn't want us to be afraid. He doesn't want us to be concerned. He wants us to be full of peace. And our new life in Christ gives us a peace that passes all understanding. God's peace in our lives brings comfort and calmness. At the same time, we should bring peace into our relationships with other members of the body of Christ. As you see, it says the term rule there. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. The term rule means to umpire or to judge, to referee conflict and render a decision. We need to always make decisions from a heart that is ruled by the prince, the peace of Christ that is full of grace. And so we need, God wants us to be conduits of his peace to one another. And so instead of being in strife, he wants us to be in peace and in harmony and in unity Um, But we can't do that if we aren't allowing the peace of God to rule in our own hearts and to control our actions, to control our thoughts, and to help us then to extend peace and bring peace into an unsettling situation. In verse um, 18, we go on and it says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
Actually, let me go back. I skipped. Sorry about that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what verse 18. And without God's word as the foundation for our radically changed lives, we will never know God fully, nor will we be able to effectively take off the old self and put on the new self. God's word is full of the importance of his word. We've been studying in the book of Joshua. And, of course, the whole book of Joshua starts by God saying, let this, let this uh, word of the Lord, the, the law, and all of that, meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it day and night so that you can be successful and you can be prosperous and you can know what to do. And it's the same for us. God's word needs to be in our lives and in our hearts. We need to know what God has said so that we can have direction, so that we can have uh, a clear path before us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on to his own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. David said, I hide your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. So the importance of the word of God, knowing what God's word has to say so that when life circumstances come up, then God has something to work with and can bring to you his word and to give you wisdom and direction and how to navigate your road in life. It is God's word dwelling in our hearts that allow us to live a holy life. It is God's word dwelling in our hearts that allow us to teach one another and to encourage one another to stay on the straight and narrow path. And so that's the second part of that verse. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly um, with all wisdom. Again, knowing what God's Word says and understanding it with all wisdom and admonishing one another. So encouraging one another. So God is interested in us being a part of each other's life in encouraging one another, in, in praying for one another. When somebody's down, being able to come, bring the Word of God and correct and, and uh, encourage them. Maybe sometimes God might ask us um, to, uh, we see somebody getting off the straight and narrow, and he asks us to go and encourage that person to come back and to continually to set their old self aside and put the new self on. That's that whole idea. And then the Word of God should also dwell in us richly as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. It is God's word that is the foundation of our worship. And so Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, God is seeking the true worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. And so that whole idea of truth is God's word, that we need to know the truth. We need to know who God is and what he's done for us. And then to worship him with a greater understanding of who he is and what he's done. And so all of our worship, as we worship him through song, as we worship him with our life, as we worship him through the teaching of the word, whatever it may be, is that we're, it's all rooted and founded on God's word. Because if it's not rooted on God's word, then that's what can cause us to get astray. But the foundation of our worship is God's word. And so it's that truth, it's that greater understanding of who he is. However, it can't just stay in our head. Knowledge for knowledge's sake isn't good. That knowledge 
needs to get into our heart. And as we've been talking all evening here, that knowledge of who God is and what He's done for us needs to change our life. needs to change what we do and how we do it so that we act and look like God and so that when people look at us, they can say, that person has been with Jesus. That person reflects and magnifies God with their with what they do. They bring glory to God by living for Him. And so, the radically changed life um, is part of has having God's Word and having His peace. And then we see that Paul closes this section in verse 17. And he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is if you do something in somebody's name, you are representing that person. And so all of that person's reputation is staked upon if you are using that person's name. And so people are going to be paying attention, not to you, but they're going to be saying, are you representing that person well? Again, what is an ambassador? An ambassador goes to another country to represent the country that they're there from. So if we have an ambassador of the United States, when they're going to other countries, they're the representative of the United States, and they should be acting and doing and saying the things that we believe as a nation here. And so it's the same thing here is that our radically changed life is one that represents Jesus well by acting in a way that is in harmony with his identity and under his authority. And so that's the idea of doing everything that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul met a few times here talks about giving thanks to God. And so he, he just intersperses this throughout his uh, writings. He, in First Thessalonians, he talks about giving thanks and in other places. And so that idea of being thankful people and always having a, an, an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because we've been radically changed. We've been radically changed and there's plenty to give thanks to our God. And so always give thanks. Well, as we finish this, now Paul shifts and he, and he changes from how we need to be acting and the things that we need to be doing. And our home relationships are now radically affected by our new life in Christ. Look with me at verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Again, Paul, um, he did this in the book of Ephesians when we were in there. And now here as we're in the book of Colossians. And he always takes what God has done for us and how we should act and gives us the practical places that this should should play out and one of them is our homes and in our homes and how we should be responding to one another as husband and wife children to parents and parents to children so the marital bond remains crucial to the well-being of the home paul focuses on submission in this passage meaning to give 
oneself to the Lord's assignment. He does not mean to suggest women are inferior to men, rather that each has different roles and functions. And we see that in the Godhead. We see God the Father, and then we see God the Son. And yet we know that God the Son submits to God the Father. And in fact, Jesus said while he was in earth here on the earth, he said, I don't do anything unless my Father tells me to do it first. And so even his whole life ministry, he never did a miracle. He never said anything. He never went anything about life until he heard his father tell him to do it. And so then the Holy Spirit came. And yet now the Holy Spirit is subject to the son and to the father. And in fact, the Holy Spirit, his role is to remind us and to teach us everything that Jesus has, has said in his word. And in fact, Jesus told us, in John 14 and 15, that the Holy Spirit won't even talk about himself. He's always going to talk about Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has said. And so we see that in the Godhead, everyone is submitting to the, to the other one. And the same thing here in the marital relationship between husband and wife. There, is, um, there are roles that each of us play, but it doesn't mean, again, that... One is inferior to the other. Remember, God made them man and woman. He made them equal. It's a partnership. Every man and woman that joins together in marriage, it's a partnership. They should be working together to live for God, to represent God, working together to raise their children and all of that stuff. Not one is is better than the other one. Um, and so wives are... He tells, so we have, the roles are equal, but he, does, he set, tells wives need to understand and support their husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor Jesus. But really the focus is, for those of us that are men and husbands, husbands need to go all out in loving their wives, just like Jesus goes all out in his love for the church. And sometimes we get stuck on the first aspect of women submitting to the, uh, to the husband. But guys, our role is more important. We're supposed to love our wives. We're supposed to care for them. We're supposed to be kind to them. We're supposed to be tender and supportive. We should never, ever take advantage of our wives. We should never be harsh with them. We should never lord it over with them. We should represent Jesus to them and the rest of our family just the way Jesus represents God to all of us and how he loves the church. Then he goes on, children should do what their parents tell them because this delights Jesus to no end. And so children should obey their parents in the Lord. But then he talks about parents. And so even though he uses the word fathers, he's really talking to parents to both parents, um, don't come down too hard on your children. If you do, you will crush their spirits. And I think possibly those of us that are parents, I know I have, I've been fault of that, where I came down too hard when I didn't need to, and I should have been a little more understanding and, and trying to lead them and guide them. But when we're harsh, when, we're, when we come down too hard on our children, 
it can crush their spirits. And sometimes it takes a long, long time for them to uh, find their way out of that. And so parents, don't be mean. Don't be harsh. Don't just discipline for discipline's sake, but make sure that it's done in love and it's done with understanding so that they know what God's Word has to say and that everything that we do is pointing them to Jesus and making them look more and more like Jesus through how they act and what they do. And then the last few verses of this chapter as we wrap it up, our work relationships are radically affected by our new life in Christ. Verses 22 to 25, Slaves and all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So the same radical difference God makes in our homes should be carried into the workplace every day. Workers should be responsible. We should be respectful. Workers should do what they are told and must give an honest day's work for the pay that they receive. Workers should be enthusiastic about their employment and serve heartily as if to the Lord. They should always do their best. And we, uh, those of us that are workers, um, if we do shoddy work, we need to realize that we will be held responsible. And here's the big key. Just because you're a Christ follower, it doesn't cover up bad work. Being a Christ follower never covers up bad work, and it's never an excuse for bad work. And so we need to remember, going back to verse 17, everything that we do, we need to do it as unto the Lord, and and that we're doing it in His name and for His service. And He is ultimately, as the text says, He is ultimately the one that we are serving. He is the one that is ultimately our employer, even though the company you work for or or wherever you work, um, they may give you your paycheck, but it comes from God ultimately. And so as workers, we need to do our best. We need to represent Christ well. And that's what Paul is talking about in this whole chapter is that we have radically been changed. We've been radically changed on the inside. And so, therefore, we should begin seeing that radical change on the outside. And so, the more that you focus on reminding yourself that I've been crucified with Christ, and yet it's not that I live, but Christ lives in me. The more we put on that new self, the more we take off that old self, the more that that old self and that old habits and that old way of acting is going to get less and less and less. And our new self should be getting more and more and we should be acting more like Jesus and more like Jesus. And on this side of glory, we're never going to make it. We're never going to make that perfect spot. 
but we can get darn close. So that yesterday, whatever I went through yesterday, I'm doing better today. And there can actually be opportunities and times with God's help and with His grace that just possibly, if sin comes tomorrow, you can look it in the face with the power of the Holy Spirit and say, nah, I'm not going to do that because I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the representative of Jesus, my Master and my Savior, and I want to please Him, and I want to do everything that brings honor and glory to Him. So you can just go and take a hike and go away. I'm trusting in God and allowing Him to be Lord of my life so that I can look like Him. God, thank you for the radically, the radical life that you've given each one of us, how you've changed our hearts, how you've given us the ability to change our actions. And so God, we just pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, each and every day, each one of us will continue to look more and more like Jesus, to act more and more like Jesus, to talk more and more like Jesus, and that we, as your word says, that we should be imitators of you as your children so that we can imitate you to such a degree that people know you because of how you're allowing us to live this radical, life, changed life that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, thank you for coming in and just thank you for such a great message tonight. And God, just be with us throughout the rest of the week and just help us to lean on you as we lean into you, God. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.